Sober in the city, real life, real addiction, real recovery. Call in now from all over the USA, 1-800-SOBER-05. Welcome back. Here's your on-air sponsor, Debbie Strand. This is Sober in the City, brought to you by Believe Treatment Center. Believe Treatment Center understands and treats all forms of addiction. Call now, 1-855-874-2354, or visit believetreatmentcenter.com. Advisors are standing by to tell you how they can help and how your insurance can pay for it. I'm Debbie Strand with Sober in the City, here to tell you about how I got sober and how I'm maintaining my sobriety one day at a time. We're also talking about life issues. We all have them. Whether you're in recovery, you want to be in recovery, maybe you should be in recovery, and maybe your husband's out on a bender and hasn't come home in the last couple of days. We all have issues. We all have to deal with them one day at a time. Call us, 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. Tell me what you're going through, how you're staying sober. Maybe you didn't stay sober through the weekend. Call me, talk to me, 800-SOBER-05, and visit the website at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for both Apple and Android devices. And if you or someone you love needs to get into detox, rehab, or you need an intervention, call me at 800-SOBER-05. I'm here to help. I talk a lot about newly sober people and I've been asking what I should do a show about and what is foremost on your mind. Well, I was speaking with a tech in a rehab center in Owensburg, Kentucky, and he had a girl sitting there with him. She was in treatment. She was only 19 years old. And I asked him, ask her, what does she want to hear about? What's top on her mind? What is scaring her to death? Because you know, you were all scared to death that early on in recovery. She only had 37 days at the time and she wanted to know what does she do when she leaves treatment? I decided that getting a sponsor was very important. So I made it part of the topic. And what we're going to talk about on this show is what to do when you get out of treatment, how to get a sponsor and how do you start living life? I really feel like there's a gap between treatment and recovery and that many people fall through. It's like a big crevasse. I I don't know. It's like when you fall off of a mountain in between two mountains in Europe, it's called a crevasse. If you do it in the United States, it's only a crevice. So (laughs) I think in the United States, if you fall off after rehab, it's just a crevice. You don't get the fancy crevasse. A lot of people are doing that. And the statistics say that about 50% of people, if you don't go to a meeting the very same day that you get out of treatment, you've got a 50% less chance of staying sober and falling down that crevice. So we don't wanna get in any crevices. If you have your family, maybe your family can have a plan for you to help you get dialed into meetings. I've seen rehab centers get people meeting schedules for their area to help them arrange rides before they hit the ground running. And which direction are you going to run? Are you going to run towards recovery? Are you going to run towards the hood? You don't want to go there. You don't want to go back to the way you've been living. You don't want to go back to the bar and going back to the same old people. So get to the meeting, 
get some phone numbers from people. I know this is hard. I know in early recovery, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I know it's not easy. If you can afford a recovery coach or a life coach or one of those kind of people, or what do they call them? Uh, sober companions. If you can afford a sober companion to escort you around for a while, a sober escort, as they call them. Some people can't afford that. And you have to get your own discipline and you have to feel it in your own heart that this is what you want to do, that you want to stay sober. You can get sober right where you got high. You don't have to go somewhere new. You don't have to have a new town. Geographical cures don't work. I've seen people try it over and over again. So slowly but surely rebuild our lives or in the case of this 19 year old girl, start to build that life, start to write your own book. So share with us, what do you do when you get out? How do you get a sponsor? And how did you rebuild your life? Call me 800 sober 5 800 sober 5 We've got Rich on the line from Rogersville, Tennessee. Rich, how are you? Good, Debbie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Rich, tell me the process. Did you go to rehab? Not this past no. But okay. I've been to rehab before. Okay. So talk about the process of what do you do when you get out of rehab? You're sober for a while? I just celebrated three years, the 21st of November. Well, that's fantastic. Congratulations to you. Thank you. So you had to go through a process, and do you have a sponsor now? Yes. Okay, so tell us about the process of getting out of rehab or just starting to start your recovery process over again, getting a sponsor, and rebuilding your life. Tell us a little bit about what you've been through. What is it like? Okay, uh, well, I had been sent to rehab by my probation office back in the 80s. And I went for the wrong reasons. I went to make sure that probation didn't send me to jail. So it was I was setting myself up for failure there because I didn't go with the right attitude. But I did follow the suggestions that, you know, I take the meeting list. We were doing outside meetings. I got phone numbers, and I started palling around with people right away. From day one, I, went, I left the rehab, and I went straight to a meeting. It was the first thing I did. But I was trying to stay out of trouble with the with the probation office. So that really was, I wasn't committed to recovery. So I didn't last, you know. Um, but I do know that it helped because the struggle that I had was I wanted to drink so bad. That's all I could think about when I was away, you know, for the four to two days that I, I knew I was going to pick up again, you know, before I left. But I was trying, you know, I was having an internal fight. Uh, this time around, now, I, I had burned every bridge. I had, I had run its course. It had run its course, and I couldn't, I couldn't live like this anymore. And I made the commitment in my head and in my heart that I really needed to do something about it, and I really needed to follow the suggestion. And one of the first things that after going into a meeting, one of the first things that was suggested is that I get a meeting list, I get phone numbers, and I make that phone call. That phone doesn't weigh a ton. You know, I used to pick it up four or five times, six times a day to call my man, you know, but I couldn't pick it up to get a ride to a meeting. So You're I right. had to get over my fear. <laughs> I had to get over the fear of how heavy that phone was. And it is, it was very scary, you know. But, you know, I was fearful because I was full of fear uh, because I, it was all unknown, you know. Once I got past the fear of making that first phone call, then it became, and that, you know, the response on the other side was they were happy to hear from me, that I helped them. And I didn't understand that at, at that point, but I do today. That I, I helped that person uh, because it was nice for them to be able to help another alcoholic because that's how this program works, by helping each other. So my calling them, cheer them up. They were in a bad spot. So that's how it worked. I go, started going to the rooms, and 
a bunch of us were riding out to a place, and, you know, it was all fun and games for a while, but then it started to dawn on me that I needed to get serious, so I started listening to what it meant, you know, started to think about who I'd like to have as a sponsor, you know, somebody I could pay to, somebody I could trust, somebody that I wouldn't mind telling my secret to, because that's what was keeping me sick, was my secret. I found somebody, and just as I was about to ask him, one of my buddies that I was palling around with, he asked it to be a sponsor. So I felt that it would be usual to have this man sponsoring two guys at once. So I asked a different guy uh, to be my temporary sponsor, but it turned out that he is now, he's been my permanent sponsor for three years. His name is Tom, and he's got good sobriety, 10 years. He's going to celebrate, I think, 12 years this year. And uh, he just guided me through the step work that I've completed far, and he doesn't badger me or anything. He just, I have questions, or, or if I'm in a bad spot, I can call him and talk with him. He's very helpful in that respect, because he realizes that his sobriety depends on how much of this program he, he shares and gives away. Um, so it turns out that people are now coming to me and asking me questions, and I'm getting to work with newcomers a little bit. Um, one of my old roommates showed up at a meeting last week. He'd never been to a meeting before, and he walked in the door on my anniversary night, actually. And he was amazed that I had three years, and we've talked since then. And it's nice. Now I understand the feeling of when a newcomer calls somebody for the first time, what a good feeling it gives you to get the phone call. Because it just happened to me last week. It was so nice to hear from a newcomer saying, Can you with this? what do I do? I'm afraid. I want to go out. What do we do? I said, well, you did the first thing, which was call somebody. And what we're going to do is you're gonna, we're going to talk for a while, and we'll get together this evening, and we'll pick out a place and go to a meeting. And this is how we do it. You stay sober one day at a time, sometimes a few minutes at a time. But you have to, in your heart, that you really don't want to do this anymore. And he agreed with me because that's why he called. He said, I really don't want to do this anymore. I was, I was impressed when I saw you there celebrating your third anniversary. And if you can do it, we used to live together. He said, if you got sober, I know I got sober. <laughs> so, because he, you know, he went when I had my meltdown, went to the, the emergency room. Because uh, I, I was beside myself with uh, alcohol, you know, drinking myself sick, and I was taking Sudafed tablets, which really disagreed with me. And I had a mental breakdown. And I, I went off in the ambulance to the hospital. Well, he was the man that called the ambulance for me. You know, so he was very surprised to me celebrate three years. And it gave him hope. And that's what, you know, it makes me feel really good that, you know, even though I've struggled with it for so many years, to finally get, you know, get some traction and get a few days behind me, that someone else can see and, you know, and look and look forward down the road and say, well, heck, if he can stay sober, then I know I have a shot at staying sober. And that's... That be, that comes because my sponsor worked with me. So now I have a few few memories of how my sponsor worked with me to how to help the new the people coming in behind me. So, uh, and I was reading today about honesty because that's what I thought the topic was going to be on. But there's some very interesting thoughts about that, that uh, my survival depends on whether or not I'm honest with myself and honest with others enough to say, hey, I need help. And not be afraid, you know, to have a, a strong enough sense of a higher power and have faith in my higher power that I can overcome the fear that I have because I know God's got my back. 
So whatever it is I'm afraid of, I don't, I, you know, I shouldn't give it so much weight and so much credence because the more that I rely on God, the more that things work out properly, or at least to the best, you know, I'm going to have to, however it works out, but Absolutely. to know that I've not been hurt, yeah. uh, I, I get to rely on God more. So when fearful situations come up, you know, like picking up the phone for the first time or trying a new meeting or picking a sponsor, you know, picking somebody, you know, for your first time, I have faith that it'll work out the way it's supposed to. So there's a lot of things, to, you know, I, I don't remember how tough it was because it was 20 years ago when I left that rehab. I do remember being very afraid. I was very proud of myself for getting my chip, you know, my 42 days and going to the meeting. I was proud of myself. But I also knew in the back of my mind that I wasn't done yet, you know. So there was, there was a lot of fear of going to the world and having to struggle against all the input and all the, all the forces that are going to gang up on me. You know, friends, my own attitude, my own perceptions, you know, my own fear was going to take me back out there. And eventually it did, you know, but that's because I didn't have a real good re- relationship with a higher power. And I certainly didn't pick anybody for a sponsor, just some guy that was going to drive me around. So I didn't go back to jail. You know, I think that's we have I, to you know? I, I think we have to get very realistic and kind of take the emotion out of it if it's possible but boy when you just get off drugs and alcohol you're just like so sensitive you're just this one huge human emotion walking down the street you know and it's like if we could just take the emotion out of it and look at it logically okay I'm afraid to pick up the phone and talk to somebody what is the worst case scenario a maybe they won't take my call b maybe they'll laugh at me you know c maybe they'll think I'm a jerk but you know and it's our ego keeping us from doing those things and our fears right. of being laughed at are not good enough. But seriously, nobody's going to punch you in the face. You know, that, that I'm afraid <laughs> of. I don't want to get hit. You know, I don't, want, I don't want physical pain. But it really shouldn't be that difficult. But boy, I do remember how hard it was. And I tell people too, listen, we've all made that call. And when you call somebody, just tell them, this is the first time I'm calling somebody and I have no idea why I'm calling you or what I'm supposed to say. And let them take it from there. What do you think, Rich? Good? Well, that's what Tom did for me. He just, you know, if I was afraid to say anything, he would try to draw things out of me, you know, and say, I remember my first week. I remember my first month. And, you know, are you dealing with any of these types of issues? Are you afraid of these types of things? Or uh, or he could just tell that he hadn't heard me in two days. And, you know, we have a small town. So he would put feelers out. Has anybody seen Richie? You know, and word yeah. would get back to me that it's time to give Tom a call, you know, because yeah. he's looking for me. We've got Dan on the line from Denver, Colorado. Dan, welcome to Sober in the City. Thank you. You hear us talking about our topic today of what do you do when you get out of rehab? How do you get a sponsor? And how do you start rebuilding your life? Would you like to share on that? Sure, I'd be glad to. Well, Debbie, I, uh, I, I hit a point in 95 where... Uh, I, I couldn't continue drinking. I just, I wanted to stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. And so uh, I put myself into rehab, uh, actually after getting out of detox. And uh, the thing that I found is that after leaving a rehab is to leave with a, a trusted friend or family, somebody that uh, is clean and sober and that you know, it's going to kind of stick with you. And the thing is, is that I, I think God intervenes from the very beginning and puts you in a safe place, whether it's through the courts or whether it's voluntarily 
of whatever it might be, and that um, to trust God. And then the other thing is to really stay in a safe place and to stay with a friend or family after that and still continue to trust God. And then how that friend or family, whatever it might be, is to take you to meetings. And because the first part of the meetings is just kind of jumble. You know, I just really didn't hear anything. What's going on? Getting acclimated to the environment, understanding what's taking place and so forth. But start to do some service, whether it's just emptying trash, whether it's serving coffee, uh, greeting people, and, and so forth, and to continue to trust God. And and it seems like th- other things will start to fall into place as sponsor and, um, uh, you know, life changes. But there's, I, I hit a touchy ground, and because when I went to, after I went to re- rehab and I got out, I went to meetings for eight and a half years every single day, faithfully and continually, and trusted God. But I sat in those meetings, and I saw the stuff on the walls, and I listened to people and heard what they had to say, and their sponsor, and do the steps. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not going to do that. I, I can figure this out on my own. And so I spent eight and a half years trying to figure this out on my own. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it doesn't work. Um, I eventually did go back out after eight and a half years and I went back out for a while and then had to put myself in a safe place again. I went back to rehab and what I found is that, you know, these people are right. You know, you, you need to have somebody walk you through the steps and take you through it and there your life changes and things start to happen. Now, I picked out sponsors that I didn't want to be completely honest with. I figured that, well, I can pick that person, but yet I can fool them. And that doesn't work. And so um, I have a sponsor today that actually I sat in a meeting and I've seen this person for a long time. And I would always think, boy, I'd hate to have that person as my sponsor. (laughs) That's the one you need. And and I, and and that's, and I was sitting there and I was talking to God and I said, God, you know, do I ask this person? And I did. And I got to tell you, this, this person has been phenomenal. Uh, uh, He seems to know what I'm thinking. He seems to know what's going on. And, you know, we've been through the steps and and so forth. And I call him, well, I try to call him every day, but I was continuous on calling him every day. And he says, I just want you to call just so you can get into a routine, Dan, so that you have some some kind of structure, because I didn't have any structure. And so I talk to him, you know, and I meet with him, and we go to meetings. And, you know, life does change. And when I say it changes, you know, life doesn't become all suddenly glorious. I learn how to deal with situations in honesty and through the the suggestions of the program on how to deal with it. And it's a lot better than holding a lie in your head. 
think it's the greatest thing that you went for that sponsor that you thought, oh God, I don't want that sponsor. Because that was really important for me too. I had a couple of sponsors that I could pull the wool over their eyes. And I needed my own lies pointed out to me. Not that I was lying to other people, but I was lying to myself. And I was shortchanging myself. And when I got a sponsor that was that nightmare sponsor that you really didn't want to have, it was like when you got her, that's when you were ready to really see the truth about yourself. And I see that about me today too, that there's a lot of people, especially in early recovery, that don't even speak to me. They see me, they run the other direction because they know that my message is clear, concise, I know the truth, and I'm going to tell it like it is. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, can you help me with this? Can you tell me what's going on? And I sit them down and they say, are you ready to hear it? Are you ready? You know, and I'll be nice about it. But when I tell them the truth, and like you said, it's like I'm reading their minds. I'm not reading their minds. I'm telling them my story. But it's them. Mm -hmm. And we're not all that much different. You who are still using, you're not that complicated. We have done what you have done. There's no reason to carry that shame and that guilt. We understand. We've been there. We have walked in your shoes. We know. Yeah. And we're sorry that that happened to you, but we do have an answer on how to pull you out. If you would just allow us, allow us to show you some structure, allow us to guide you along the way. You don't have to figure this thing out on your own. It's difficult to do that. Right. We've got Linda on the line from San Diego, California. Linda, welcome to Sober in the City. Welcome. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for being here. You hear us sharing about what do you do when you get out of rehab? How do you get a sponsor and how do you start rebuilding your life? Please share on that with us. Well, um, it's a perfect, perfect topic for me right now. I've um, been sponsoring a girl, um, one girl, she's, she's 40, but there's no girls. <laughs> I know, right? uh, I, I've been working with her, right, exactly, they're my girls. I've been working with her a little over four years and, and she relapsed last year and um, around uh, Halloween time, I just saw her just everything. I didn't have to see her drink to know what was going on. I showed up at her door. She thought she was going to go to the, the hospital for anxiety, and she ended up into detox, back into rehab, and she's been out for about a week. And um, so my experience, though, as far as rehab goes, I did an outpatient program, and when I first came into the rooms eight years ago, I was trying to do it, go to the room and try and be invisible, and no matter how much I prayed, those rooms would not swallow me up. That floor was not going to open up follow me. And I just had so much fear of rejection in asking anybody to sponsor me. It was my biggest fear. So going to rehab and going to outpatient, one of the agreements before I could get out of there and get my marble was that I had to have a sponsor. And I had my first sponsor. I had her for four years and we worked well together, but there was just that little bit of stuff that I kept in. And ultimately I relapsed on sleeping medication two years ago because of those secrets. So you have to realize when you go into this, there can be no secrets. And the first thing that I did going into um, coming from rehab and getting into the rooms was instead of sitting there and praying for the, the room to swallow me up the floor to open up and going to meetings, typically we play tag out here and someone's going to tag you, you're going to have to tell your story. I wasn't ready for that. So I went to a lot of speaker meetings and they were great because it was, you know, you'd hear the typical drunk log, but you'd also hear how they got the recovery, which always included a sponsor. And the story, it, it was, and the hope was in the solution. 
So I took that back. I, I found a good sponsor. And one of the things that was told to me that I had to do was that I had to call three people a day, three alcoholics, and they couldn't be men. And another thing that was suggested is women go to women's meetings. And because we're not necessarily going to pull the wool over somebody's eyes in a same-sex meeting. Women go to meetings, women's meeting, men go to men's meeting. And, um, you know, and, and my responsibility as a sober person is in order for me to keep getting what I'm getting, I have to keep doing what I'm doing. And I have to be of service. And I have to remember that fear of being a newcomer. And it's my responsibility to get there a little early and stay a little later and reach out to the newcomer and make sure she's got phone numbers and she understands that you don't just go to meetings. You stay away from the playground, the playmate, and the playthings. Uh, and that means you change everything, people, places, and things, just because you're out of rehab. You can't go back to the same friends yet. They, and as you get more sobriety under belt, I realize the people that I thought were friends were just drinking partners and I wasn't a, a drug user, but a lot of people, their drug dealers were their friends. And when they got rid of the drug dealers, they had no friends to call. And that's where we as sober people can really be of help because, you know, no matter how much time we have, the newcomer needs to realize that I too, you too, no matter how many years you have, we still just have one day at a time. And the only way I'm going to get another day is by helping the newcomer and go to those meetings and reach out. And we have, you know, um, most meetings I've ever been to, the Burning Desire, AA announcements, non-AA announcements, raise your hand. I'm new. I'm a little frightened. I don't know what to do. And shame on those meetings if people don't crowd around you and just, you know, but I'm certain they will. And just reach out. And part of the deal from rehab is they give you an exit strategy and follow it. Make sure you have phone numbers. Uh, there should have been H&I people coming in to the rehabs where they bring the meetings to you. There should be phone numbers that you can use. But the thing is, is like um, Rich and Dan were saying, you have to pick up that 5,000-pound phone and use it. You know, you have to reach out, you have to call, and our fear of rejection, I don't know about you, but the longer I'm sober, the more I realize I still have that fear of rejection. And that's my disease, wanting to keep me sick. I have to work through that. you got to have to, one thing in sobriety is we have to lean into the fear. We can't run from it anymore because that's what's going to keep us sick is our fear and our secrets. And, um, and I found that just being as honest as I possibly could, and almost to the point of, let me see if they'll still scare everybody away. Let me see if I can alienate them by telling my real truth. And there's nothing new. There's nothing that shocks us anymore. And as a sponsor, I have not heard anything new. Nothing shocks me. And, and that's what people, <laughs> these, these newcomers, need to realize. You know, it, it's your story and it's shocking to you, but it's not shocking to us. No. We've heard it all. We've seen it all. We've probably done we've it probably all. probably done it. And, <laughs> and the number one thing, I think, is just to be there as a sober person and as a person coming out of rehab for my girl it's just we're going to start over again we're going to commit ourselves to the steps and I didn't believe the steps were going to work they worked for you but they weren't going to work for me because I was way sicker no I'm different but I'm going to try them I'm different I'm sick I'm going to try them I'm going to try and get an A and they said go ahead and if it doesn't work we'll refund your misery and damn it by the time I got to that through that third step if it wasn't working on me well and all the cool kids were doing it I'm hanging around recovery all the cool kids were doing it you know you know you're in the lunchroom and sit with the cool kids yeah and I'm in the competition of you know who my step study is getting done first and they're already reading their fifth step and I'm still writing right on Debbie they'd say you know 
know, write on, you know, to keep writing. And yeah, the cool kids were doing it. So I wanted to be a part of it. But I love how you talk about calling three people a day. That was huge for me. And that still is. And when I'm in a bad way, one of the things that I'll do is I'll go down to the grocery store. And even if I just go in and buy an apple, you always need something in the house, you know, go in and buy a pen. I mean, you don't have to spend a bunch of money, but say hello to somebody in the grocery store, maybe even a kid, because they're not real judgmental or offensive to you. You know, they probably won't snub you. And the person working the checkout, you can always thank them for being there. And they're going to smile. They're going to say something to you. Say, thank you for being here today. And they're going to say something to you uh, because they're kind of obligated. They're supposed to be friendly to you. And it starts to bring you out of your shell because I still go in it once in a while, not anywhere near as much as I used to. And for very shorter, much shorter periods of time now. But that calling three people a day and just saying to somebody, man, I'm in a bad way and let them talk. When we come back, what you do when you get out of rehab, how you get a sponsor, and rebuilding our lives. Call us 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. in the City, we'll be right back. And just because you're not living in the structured environment anymore doesn't mean you can't make your own structure. We'll be right back. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. 